If you are not in third grade or under and staying in here, please go ahead and have your Bibles turned to Hebrews chapter 4. If you did not bring a Bible, there should be some white or blue Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and uh, you're more than welcome to use that. And if you need a Bible, that Bible can be yours. You know, every week we do say the Apostles' Creed, and it is fun that we say that. And, uh, you know, it is this, this beautiful just picture of the gospel. Um, and it does have some different wording on it that we're not always used to. Like it says the word Catholic. And it doesn't mean Roman Catholic Church, but what it refers to is just the universal church, the body of Christ, that we here at Timberline are at one body with all believers who have trusted in Jesus Christ. And so that's what that word Catholic means. Sometimes there's some questions regarding that. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. We've been making our way through this book now for the last several weeks. Last week, uh, what did I say? Seriously? So, it's really weird. Like it even says Hebrews right here. Like I, I, I don't know. I have Hebrews opened. Hebrews chapter 4. That's the book we're making. See? It's like a group effort. Um, I encourage you, if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, or if you missed that message, I encourage you, go back and listen to that one. Um, because that kind of helps with a lot of what we're going into today, this idea of, a, of the Christian life is a race. And that's one of the main points that we made last week, is the Christian life is a race. Salvation is not just a starting, is not just starting the race, but it is starting and finishing the race. It's the entire Christian life. That's how the New Testament authors will talk about it. In fact, that's why in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, we'll read, For we have come to share in Christ... If indeed we hold our original confidence to the end. What he's saying is um, we are Christians if we continue to believe in Jesus Christ. Not that we earn our salvation, but he's just emphasizing the fact that Christian Christianity, that our salvation is a transformation that now we live every single day for the glory of God. Now, in chapters 3 and 4, the author has warned the church that he's writing to and us today that we're not to be like Old Testament Israel when they came out of Egypt. If you remember, when they came out of Egypt, rather than believing in God and entering in the promised land and obeying him, they rebelled against him. They disobeyed, which revealed their unbelief, and we're told because of that, they did not enter God's rest. And last week, we, we pictured that as they did not keep running the race. They stopped running. And when we asked, well, well, why did they stop running? Why did they not continue to believe in God? Um, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 says that they had an evil, unbelieving heart. Chapter 3, 13 said that they were hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And in chapter 4, verse 2, the author kind of summed it up by saying they did not enter God's rest because they did not believe in God's word. One thing we're going to see today is, is to reject the word of God is to reject God himself. And so this is why last week in chapter 4, verse 11, the author, the author tells the church, Strive to enter the rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So in essence, he's telling the church, keep running the race. Keep believing in Jesus. Be satisfied in Christ. Do not be deceived by sin. And one thing we see all throughout scripture is that every sin will tempt us to be satisfied in something other than Jesus. Every sin. It doubts the goodness of God. It doubts his grace. It doubts his greatness. It doubts his glory. And it promises satisfaction in something else. That's what every act of sin does. And so so how do we avoid falling into the lies of sin? How do we not become like Israel and stop running the race? How do we continue to believe in God? How do we persevere in our faith? How do we overcome sins like lying, stealing, depression, lust, bitterness, anger and frustration and grumbling? It's one thing we've seen throughout chapters 3 and 4, a grumbling that Israel had. 
How do we keep growing in our faith? How do we help others to keep growing in their faith? How is it that you and I, that we can have confidence that we will enter God's rest? That's the question the author is addressing today. He wants us to run the race. He wants us to enter the rest of God. And if you remember, last week we defined God's rest as the fullness of our salvation in Jesus Christ. So the fullness of our salvation. All of the blessings that God gives us in Jesus. And while we are given those now, if you remember, we talked about last week, we don't fully experience them until when? Until Christ returns and brings about the new heavens and new earth. So that's why salvation, it's not just about entering the race. It's about our entire life that we would enter the rest of God. And so, how do we run this race? How do we have confidence that we will enter into the rest of God? Well, remember, in in chapter 4, verse 2, and this is kind of all the recap of last week. Chapter 4, verse 2, we were told that Israel did not benefit from God's message, from God's word, because they did not have faith. They did not trust in God. Their unbelief was shown in their disobedience. That's key. Unbelief is shown in disobedience. And so if that's how unbelief is shown, how do you think belief will be shown? To our obedience to God's word. And so when the author in chapter 4 verse 11 says, strive to enter the rest. He's calling the church to keep believing in Jesus through the obedience to his word. And that's how we come to our text today. So in Hebrews chapter 12 verse thirteen. Uh, 4 verses 12 and 13 it's this incredible text that many of you have heard many of you have listened many of you have have it on coffee mugs we're not even going to talk about that Um, and it's all about the character of God it's about his sufficient it's about the sufficiency of God's word these two verses are given for the purpose of encouraging you and I, this church in in the text that's wrestling and struggling with their faith, and you and I, wherever we're at in our faith today, it's encouraging us that we would each and every day trust in God's word. We're given these verses so that we would not be deceived by sin. These verses are meant to help us to keep running the race so we will enter the rest. And so the main point today, God has given us his word, so that we would see the deceitfulness of sin and we would enter his rest. That's the main point. We're given the word so we would see the deceitfulness of sin and we would enter God's rest. And so with that, we're going to read Hebrews 4. And we're only doing two verses today, but we're still going to stand. And so I invite you to stand as we read these words. And, and every day, every week we come here, we stand. And every week I tell you we stand not because... Uh, I tell you, because we stand because this word is inerrant, it's inspired by God, it's given for the purpose of training us and equipping us. This sermon is going to unpack all of that. Not meaning that we have to stand, but we do so just as a means of reminding ourselves that this book is not like any other book. This book is given to us by God so that we would know God and live for him. So here we go, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So let's, let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is a gift of grace to us. That in your word we would know you, that we would see you. That we would know your son Jesus, how you have sent him to die on a cross for our sins. That we'd be saved, forgiven, given eternal life, adopted into your family. That we'd be heirs with your son Jesus. That we would have every spiritual blessing that there is. And that we would have the assurance of living with you for all of eternity in a new heavens and new earth. So Lord, we just praise you. And Father, my prayer is today that through your word and the working of your spirit, we would grow in love with your word today. 
I pray that you would just uh, ignite a fire within every soul that is here with an insatiable desire to know your word, to read your word, to love your word, and to obey your word. And so, Father, we just pray that today. And may you be glorified as we listen to your word. In your name, Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Um, so really, I mean, we can just, just so you know, the goal is we would love this word more. That's the point of this text. We would love this Bible more. God has given us his word so we would see the deceitfulness of sin. And we would see and we would enter his rest. So these verses, I want you to think of them like as an invitation for us to delight in God's word so our souls would be fortified against sin, against any attack of the devil, that we would run the race that God has given us, and that we'd enter his rest. That's, that's the grand purpose of this text. And so today, I'll give you three reasons why we should love God's word. Number one, God's word is living. We see that right in the very beginning. For the word of God is living. And the word of God is referring to all of scripture, old and new. And we are told it is living. Now that means at least two things. At least two things. Number one, God's word is where we encounter God. The fact that God's word is living means that when we read God's word, we are encountering the living God. In fact, all throughout Hebrews, the author refers to God as the living God. We see this in chapter 3, verse 12, chapter 9, verse 14, chapter 10, verse 31, chapter 12, verse 22. We have a living God, and he's giving us his living word so that when we're in this word, we would see God. We would encounter him. John Frame, the theologian, he said it like this. When we encounter the word of God, we encounter God, his word. Indeed, in his personal presence, whenever God's word is spoken, read, or heard, God himself is there. I just want you to think about that. Think about what's happening right now. Right now, as we read God's word, we are encountering God. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that truth incredible? Every time we're opening this word, we are encountering God. And what, we're, what we see in this word is that our God is transcendent, which means he, he surpasses everything else. He's infinite in every way. He has no limitations, and he's immutable, which means he's unchanging. So if he's, he's, if he's infinite and he's immutable, he will always be infinite and perfect and holy and good and righteous. And so we have this eternal, massive God in this text. And some of us might be tempted to go, well, can we know such a God? And the crazy thing is, is not only is he infinitely transcendent, but he's also incredibly close. And what we, were, we use the word imminent, meaning near, personal, that he's written to us a word that we would know him, that we would see who he is, how he loves us, how he sent his son Jesus to die for us, that we would have life everlasting in him. And so every time we come into this word, we see the transcendence of God, and yet we also see his closeness and his nearness, his love for us. So we encounter God when we open the word. Number two, God's word is where we hear God. When we encounter him, we hear his voice. That's why you've been with us as we've gone through chapters 3 and chapters 4, and in chapter 3, verse 7, chapter 3, verse 15, and chapter 4, verse 7, the author quotes Psalm 95, and he says, today, if you hear his voice, today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. The author knows as he's quoting scripture, he's quoting the very words of God. So he's saying, when you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. He wants us to know every time we open the scripture, we encounter God, and we hear God. Do you know that? In fact, if you go back to chapter 3, verse 7, the author is going to quote Psalm 95. Later, in chapter 4, he tells us David wrote it. But look at chapter 3, verse 7. Who does he ultimately attribute the authorship of Psalm 95 to? To the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit writes this. 
And in fact, if you remember in chapter 2, verse 12, when the author is about to quote Psalm 22, who does he say ultimately wrote Psalm 22? I mean, we know David wrote it, but who ultimately wrote it? We're told Jesus is the one who writes that. Listen, every time we open God's word, we are coming into the very words of God. We are hearing his voice. I want you to just think about when you were when you were dating your wife or your husband, like before you were married, and, and they gave you a letter or a note or today a text message. Um, do you remember what you would do when you got that note? Like, didn't like life stop at that moment? And like you read the note, you hung on every word of the person that you love because you wanted to hear what they said, right? You knew who was writing it. You had this relationship with them. You loved them. And so when they give you that note, life stops and you automatically have time for that note. Yeah, you hunger for it. You love it. You delight in it. And so you read through it. And so what the author wants us to know is that every time we come into the word of God, we are having the very words of our creator, the one who has loved us, the one who has saved us, the one who has redeemed us. And we are hearing his voice. So if we're going to stop all of life when we get our loved one's notes and letters here on earth, how much more do we treasure the very words of God himself who writes his love for us in his word? Now you might be thinking, now wait a minute. Didn't man write the Bible? How is it that God is the author if man is the one who wrote the Bible. And so we believe in a doctrine called inspiration. We believe that that's a doctrine that we see in God's word. And so I actually, I put a definition in your notes, and it might be, it's up here too. Uh, so here's a, here's a definition of the doctrine of inspiration. And it says, the inspiration of scripture refers to the act whereby the Holy Spirit came upon the authors of scripture causing them to write exactly what God intended while simultaneously preserving each author's writing style and personality. This supernatural work of the Holy Spirit upon the human authors means that the author's words are God's words and they're reliable, trustworthy, and authoritative. That's what we mean by the doctrine of inspiration. So yes, we believe that man wrote God's word, and he did so in his own personality, and he did so in, the own, in his own will, and yet, supernaturally, it was the Holy Spirit working upon him, preserving his will, preserving his personality, and yet making sure he wrote the very words of God. And we see this. We see this all throughout Scripture. We could point out in many ways. I'll give you two. Second Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. You see it? So yes, men spoke it, but how? Because they were carried along by the Spirit. Or 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. So as man is writing, it is actually the very breath of God coming through that pen, and he is writing the very words that God would have him write. What that means is that the Bible is not man's interpretation of God. It is not simply our feeble attempt to record the acts of God. This means that God's words are not just the red letters in your Bible. You got some of those red letters? Those are helpful. I have no problem against those. But just know that the black ones also are all God's words. This means that the Bible, these these 66 books, these 1,189 chapters, and 31,102 verses, and I didn't count how many words, um, are all the very words of God, that we would know him, that we would love him. It is how he has revealed himself to us, and because God is perfect, his word is perfect, his word is trustworthy. So one of the questions when you're reading God's word at home, or even in a time like this, when we come into God's word, we can always ask a question, what does this text tell me about God? That's a good question to write down and to have every time you're reading God's Word. What does this tell me about God? What do I learn about God's goodness, 
about his greatness, about his grace, about his goodness, his glory. Every time we open this word, we hear the very word of God because we are encountering God himself. We're encountering the God who created you and everything you see and everything you don't see. So that's, that's, that's invitation number one. He says, love this word. Come into this word. If unbelief was seen in disobedience to God's word, and it's only by belief we will enter God's rest, and belief is seen through obedience to God's word, he's saying, so believe God's word. So invitation number one, when you come into God's word, you encounter the living God. Number two, God's word is effective. Now, if you have an ESV, uh, which is the Bible that we just use here as, as a church, which stands for the English Standard Version, then your word says active. If we go back to chapter 4, the word of God is living and active. That word can be translated effective, powerful, capable of producing its intended result. So one of the things we see when we come into God's word is that God accomplishes things through his word. Do you know that? Like he accomplishes whatever he wants through his word. And so let me just run through a list of things that we see in scripture. Genesis 1, God creates by his word everything that we see. And in fact, in, he, in Hebrews chapter, I wanted to say Ephesians. That's weird. You guys got me thrown off now. Um, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, God sustains all creation by his word. So there's a creating aspect and there's a sustaining aspect, all done by his word. Romans 10, 17, God saves by his word. Mark chapter 4, verse 39, Jesus calmed the storm by his word. Luke chapter 7, verses 8, 9, and 10, the centurion comes and he says, my servant is sick. Jesus heals the centurion's servant with a word. John eleven forty four. It's a good chapter to know. It's the one about Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus by a word. Revelation 19, 15, when Jesus returns, we're told that he will overcome all who rebel and against him by his word. Many people think that Armageddon is going to be this giant battle. But what I see in scripture in Revelation 19 is that Jesus comes and with a word, he defeats all who rebel against him. Psalm 119 Verses 9 and 11, God keeps us from sin by his word. In fact, let me read verses 9 and 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? That's a good question. So if you're here, how do you keep your way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? Why should we store up God's word in our heart? Why should we memorize God's word? Why should we meditate on God's word? That I might not sin against you. So the word of God fortifies us against this deceitfulness of sin. It keeps us from sinning. So just play this out. You want to overcome lust? You want to overcome addiction? You want to overcome depression? You want to overcome lying? You want to overcome anger, frustration, grumbling, hate, impatience? What do we do? We come to the Word. We come to the Word of God. It is the very means in which God heals, restores, refines, and will satisfy us. Do you know that? Another one. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. God's word is the means in which we are corrected, trained, and equipped to do everything that God calls us to do. Do you know that? Like, let me just read those. All scripture is breathed out by God. We already covered that. When we come into scripture, we meet God. And when we meet God, when we meet the living God, his word has an effect on us. Therefore, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you get that? Like, how are we going to run the race? How is it that we obey and do everything that God wants us to do? Which sometimes we just sit there and go, man, how, how am I supposed to be patient like that? How am I supposed to love this person? How am I supposed to share the gospel with this person? How could I ever be trained to do those things in 
God's word because it equips us. Do you see the invitation? You see, he's saying, read God's word. In the word, you meet the living God. You will encounter him. You will hear his voice, and he will change you. He will accomplish all the purposes that he has for you through his word. Men, think this through. How are you going to shepherd your wives? How are you going to love your children? How are you going to be gentle with them? Through the word. Children, how will you obey your parents? You need to bring them all back in. We just send them all out. So you have to go communicate this one to them. Children, how will you obey the parents? How will you love to obey your parents? By the word. Wives, how are you to, to love your husbands and submit to them and encourage them and build them up and to love your children? By the word. Christian, just how are we to be bold and share the gospel? And we can be so intimidated by that. We can be so fearful of that. And yet, how can we be trained to do that? How can we be equipped to do that? By the word. How do we love those who hate us? Yeah, do you ever have those people that just know every button that, that they can push? And you're like, there's no way I can love that person. How do we love them? By the word. How do we let love cover offenses? You ever wrestle with that? <laughs> like, which offense? It'd be nice if he gave us a list of the offenses we cover, the list of the ones we don't, we can point out. It's probably best he doesn't do that. We just let love cover offenses. How are we going to do that well? How will we be patient? How will we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's by the word. How are you not going to be deceived by sin? It's by the word. Hear this. God accomplishes his purposes through his word. If we're going to become more like Jesus, it's only going to be as we spend more time in his word. I mean, this is, this is why we come and we sit under preaching every week. It's not because I, Nick Jackson, it's not because Nick Jackson has anything good to say. I don't have tips. I'm not very funny. And I really, there's no point for me to stand before you if I'm just going to give you six steps to a better life. You can find those on some book on Amazon at any moment and have it tomorrow, maybe even today. Um, but we come and we sit under preaching because when we come to the Word of God, together we're collectively sitting under this Word that together as a body we'd be changed. That together as a body we'd be refined. That we'd grow in our love for one another and for this world through the preached Word. I mean, I, I want to read to you Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. This is, this is one of my favorite verses, and I'm just going to say it's probably one of every pastor's favorite passages. Because if this passage, if we didn't have this truth, there would be no purpose to this preaching. But it's this passage that gives me hope every time I preach. Here it is. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the, to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Do you see it? As the rain goes, and it's going to bring about the, the crops and the produce and all that God wants it to bring about. He says, so my word, it will go out and it will do everything that I want it to. So why should we do family time? Read our Bibles with our children? Praying that God works the truths of the word into the hearts of our children because of this verse. He accomplishes his purposes through his word. Why should we sit in God's word every single day? Because we know men, if we're going to grow in godliness, women, if we're going to grow in godliness, children, if we're going to grow in godliness, it will be through his word. We got to stop thinking that this Bible is like any other book. When we walk, I'll say this, when I walk into my house, and it's a mess, and sometimes it is, it's crazy, i got three kids, and their friends come over, and like, like if you have one friend comes over, it doesn't double the mess, have you noticed that? It's exponentially greater, 
Like there's like a quadrupling effect for every kid that walks in the house. And so when I come home, and I'm just like, ah, wishing I hadn't come home. And all I wanted to do is say, be fixed. And how cool would that be if everything was just like clean? Does that happen for you? Because it doesn't happen for me. Or like you got something broken at your house, like a septic or, you know, anything. And you just like, be fixed. Do you know how much time that would save us? I wouldn't have to watch any YouTube videos anymore. Like that's where I learn everything that I have to do in order to fix all this stuff. But if we had the power and the authority to actually accomplish things by our words, that's how we could do things. But we don't. But God does. That's the difference between creator and creature. He's infinite in power, infinite in authority. With his very words, he produces all that he desires. I want to, I was, uh, I shared this the other night on Thursday night. George Whitfield, 18th century uh, preacher, uh, he was hounded by a group of detractors. They called themselves the Hellfire Club. Just imagine, like, you're, you're George Whitfield everywhere you preach. You got the Hellfire Club coming and hounding. They derided his work. They mocked him. On one occasion, one of the, one of the men named Thorpe. He was mimicking Whitfield to his cronies. So he gets up in front of them like this. So if we're the Hellfire Club, so we just played that out, uh, and, and I'm Thorpe, I would stand in front of you, and I'm going to mimic Whitfield. I'm just going to make fun of him, so I'm going to preach one of his sermons to you, laughing at it the whole time, how ridiculous Whitfield sounds reading this Bible and preaching it. And do you know what happens as he reads and preaches the Word of God? He repents and gets saved at that moment. Isn't that crazy? I think God does have a sense of humor. But what we see is that even a man who is completely resistant to the word, in fact, is using the word for the purpose of mocking the man who preaches the word, God will use the word still to accomplish his purpose and save that person on the spot. And so get this, uh, Thorpe goes on to be a prominent Christian leader in the city of Bristol. God uses him to, to proclaim the word. Now think about how comforting this is. In chapter 3, verse 13, we've got a church that's hurting. And so the author says, exhort one another every day so you're not deceived by sin. So our responsibility as a church is to love one another, to know each other. And when we see something happening in one of our, others, one of our lives, we exhort one another. We encourage each other. But how? What are you going to say? What are you going to say to encourage someone who has lost a loved one? What are you going to say to someone who is struggling in their marriage? What are you going to say to that person who's depressed, who's angry? What are you going to work up? What, are you gonna, what kind of concoction of words are you going to bring that can actually encourage and help that person? The beauty of this truth is that you don't have to do that. You just come alongside him with the truths of God's word. And you just pray that God is faithful to his word. And you encourage him with these truths, knowing that God can bring comfort to the one who is hurting. God can save the one who is rejecting him. God can bring healing into a broken marriage. We don't have to create eloquent sayings. We just have to love God's word and to share the truth with one another. Think about how this applies to evangelism. I, I think so often as Christians, we're, we're scared to share the gospel for, for a multitude of reasons. And one of them sometimes is we're, we're fearful. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I say something so wrong and now this person never wants to believe in God? And they reject God for all of eternity, so therefore I'll do the better thing and just not share the gospel. Because disobedience is better than just doing it wrong, Right? But think about how, what this truth tells us. You don't have to put this beautiful, logical argument together. I mean, we should think through how we share the gospel. We should be loving. We should be humble. The, this, this text isn't calling us to be careless with how we use the word, but we can be confident that as we share the truths of God's word, however well 
or not well we do that, God can use them to save and to bring life. I mean, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, or is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew and also the Greek. Do you believe that? This word has the power to save all who will believe. Isn't that incredible? So we don't have to be fearful of going, man, what if I just say the wrong thing? We trust in God's faithfulness at those times. And we say, God, I want to be obedient. I'm going to give the truths of your words and just trust that you're going to do something with them. And we know that he'll accomplish whatever he desires at that moment in your life and in their life. Those are the first two points. You remember, he's inviting us to be in the Word. If the Word is going to help us to believe in God, to keep running the race, he's saying every time you come to the Word, you encounter the living God, you hear his voice, and his Word will change you. There's two invitations. Invitation number three, last point, God's Word pierces the depths of our heart. Go back to verse 12. We'll read the whole verse. The Word of God is living and active. So far, we've only made it through those two words. Isn't that great? There's a lot more to go. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we see God's Word is like a double-edged sword. Now, we see that truth in other parts of Scripture. Revelation 1.16, from the mouth of Jesus comes a sharp two-edged sword. Revelation 19, 15, we already kind of referenced this one. From the mouth of Jesus comes a sharp sword. Ephesians 6, 17, when talking about the armor of God, we're told the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So clearly, throughout God's Word, we are to understand God's Word, this Word, is like a sword. It's like a sharp sword, but why? Why is it a sharp sword? Well, the author says the purpose is to pierce. The word pierce means to penetrate, to overcome resistance. But what is it piercing? What is it overcoming? And then we're told that it pierces soul and spirit, bone and marrow, which kind of becomes a little strange at that moment. But I don't think the author is trying to give us some anatomical lesson about the body, but rather he wants us to know that which appears indivisible is able to be pierced by the word of God. Nothing is able to resist the power and effectiveness of God's word. And so then he, it's like he carries on that thought, and then he says it also discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word discern is where we get the word critic, and the point is God's word pierces the depths of our heart, and it exposes the truest condition of our hearts. Like a hot knife cutting through butter, so God's word cuts to the depths of of our heart, and nothing is able to resist it. That's what it means in verse 13, when all of a sudden we kind of turn to God and it says, before God, we are naked and exposed. Meaning when we come into God's word, it penetrates us to the very deepest parts of our heart and our soul, and it reveals the truest condition of our heart. It's like going through the metal detector at the airport, right? You're walking through, and it reveals, do you have any metal upon you? And so every time we're in the Word of God, it reveals the condition of a heart. It says, where might there be some unrepentant sin? And it exposes it. It pierces. It reveals that. I mean, again, this is why, this is why we spend so much time on a Sunday morning preaching. The dominant thing we do on every Sunday is spend time in the Word, and that is on purpose. It's on purpose because it's in this word that you and I, that together we are exposed to the very truths of God's word that whatever is in our heart would be revealed and that God would perform whatever surgery is necessary at that time. This is why our table groups that meet together, they discuss the sermon. They go back over God's word that we would dissect it and, and, and work through those truths in the group, pressing it into our hearts. Why? Because it's through God's word that he reveals what's in our heart. This is why we encourage you and every believer to have a regular time with God each day, reading his word. Because every time we're in God's word, he's revealing what is in our hearts. He's revealing the truest condition of what is inside of us. 
This means that when we are reading God's word, what's actually happening is God's word is reading us. You get that? You're reading the word, and at the same time, it's reading you and examining you. John Calvin said it this way in his Institutes. It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked on God's face through his word and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself. Basically, what he's saying is you want to know who you are, you got to come to the word of God. Now, that flies in the face of our culture. Jean-Jacques Rousseau. 18th century philosopher said, the only way you can truly know yourself is by looking deep inside yourself. You want to know who you are? Don't think about any external authority. Don't consider God. Don't consider society. Don't look anywhere else, but look inside yourself. Now, when we deny God and we deny all outside authorities, we actually are placing ourselves in the position of God. We can then decide what is true, what is right, and what is wrong. We become the authority in our lives. And to play that out, when we do that, we can now redefine ourselves sexually, however it is we want, because it's myself, apart from any other authority, that decides who I am. So when you read about some of these philosophers in the 18th century, you go, oh, well, what does that matter? Their thoughts are being played out today in society the world says your feelings are trustworthy and true this is exactly how deceitful our sin is sin wants you to think you don't need god sin says you don't need a savior sin says you are good sin says you don't need to look for joy and satisfaction anywhere other than yourself do what you want I want you to think how contrary that is to Scripture. According to that line of thought, you are good. You are righteous. And in yourself, you know exactly what is right and what is wrong. You are the authority. This denies the doctrine of depravity. This denies that you and I are born sinful. This denies the fact that you and I need a Savior. Because when we come into God's Word, what do we read? We are spiritually dead. Our hearts are wicked. Our hearts rebel against God's word. In fact, in Hebrew or in Romans 8, we're told that we do not want God. And we cannot serve him. We cannot please him because we do not love him. And so the very culture in which we live, with every breath, it's denying the very truths of Scripture. And it's only then by Scripture are we going to recognize those as lies. If we don't know scripture, we're not going to know the lies that are all around us. And so the author is encouraging us. There's lies around you. And some of you, you're beginning to believe in those lies, and you're thinking about stopping from running the race. And so he says, come to the word. Come to the living word, because you will meet the living God. You will hear his voice. It will change you. And if you don't think it will change you, he reminds you it's effective. And it will pierce your heart. And you might say, well, what if I'm too far gone? What if my kids are too far gone? I don't know if, it, I don't know if it's any good for them to read the word. I don't know if it's going to have any effect on them. I just want to, Jeremiah 20, 23, 29. This is what God says. He says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Isn't that a cool picture? He says, my word is fire, my word is a hammer, your heart is a hard rock, and guess what my word will do? It will crush the hardness of your heart. I just want you to think, that is beautiful and yet very scary at the same time. He will shatter the very sin and the lies that we believe. And then we can think, well, man, so he just leaves us broken and hurting? The word of God not only breaks, but it also heals and refines and satisfies. We see that like if we go to Revelation 3. Like in Revelation 3, we're given these, these seven churches that the author is writing to. And the last church is Laodicea. And Laodicea, he really doesn't have anything good for. He says, you're lukewarm. And then just to describe that, he says, you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. 
So if we're Laodicea, that's how he describes us. Are you encouraged? No. You're like, man, that, that kind of hurts. That's what, we're, that's what God's word does. It pierces, it exposes, it provides pain. Going, wow, that, that hurts. But then he says this in chapter 3, verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. He's saying you're going everywhere else to be satisfied which is why you're wretched, pitiable, poor, poor, blind, and naked. So he pierces their heart with this truth. And then he says, come to me, and my word not only will break you, but then it will be the very salve and ointment that will bring healing to your soul. Isn't that good? So whether you are rejoicing right now and things are going well, or you are hurting, God's word applies to you, and it will strengthen, it will heal, it will save. Um, I just want to share uh, what, what I'm doing right now, not that you have to do anything that I do, uh, but I meet with a couple guys, and every week we're reading just a couple chapters a day, and we go through what it, we, we journal every day in response to God's Word, and we just use this HEAR acronym, which is on your, um, on your guide and up on the screen, and so, so this is what we do. The H stands for highlight, so if we read a couple chapters... I just highlight one, two, three verses, whatever it is, and I write those down, and then I, I, I explain them. What is happening here? The, the who, what, where, when, why questions of the text. What's happening? What's God doing? And then, and then I apply it, so I write down, how does this get applied to my heart? What is God doing? What, is this, what does this truth mean now today in the 21st century? And then, um, and then the... The R is respond, where now I write out a prayer. And I tell you, I, I I'm not a journaler, so if you're sitting here going, I don't journal, great, that's where I was. Um, I was not a journaler at all. In fact, I tried journaling many times, and I would abandon journaling, but yet I kept coming back saying, no, no, I know this is important. And I've been putting this into place. And the beauty of something like this is... Um, you might be one of those people who you just, you're reading through God's word, and I love that. I mean, if you're reading God's word, praise God. I don't care if you're going through Bible reading plans or whatever else. Read through God's word. But what I did so often in my life is I, is I read through God's word, and I would then close, and i just kind of go about the day, and there would be a prayer. But this is making me slow down. And that's what I really love. It makes me slow down. So before I close the Bible, I'm now saying, how specifically am I going to begin applying these truths to my heart and my soul today. And so that, that's what I love about this. So my encouragement to you is just wherever you're at with God's word, if you're not reading God's word at all, I pray, begin reading. You can read 10 chapters a day. You can read one chapter a day. Don't get worried about how much you're reading. Do, do whatever is, is right for you at this moment. I encourage at least one chapter, but one to two chapters a day is a good way to start. And then just think through, how, how can I be intentional? So if you're not reading at all, I encourage you at least be reading. If you are reading, I encourage you, what could I do to be more intentional as I'm reading God's word to make sure I am being transformed, to make sure I'm asking questions? What is this truth? How does it apply to me? How, how is it changing me today? Is there any sin in my heart that I need to repent of today? Um, I encourage you to just wrestle through with that. Um, I have started, I've been doing this journal now like this for about two years. I, I would never go back. I wish that I had started this 40 years ago. Maybe not 40 because I've been two and I've been really weird. <laughs> I'd be cool if I could do it then. I'm um, sorry. Uh, personal thought. Um, I wish I had done it sooner. I just was pausing. I'm just inviting God to do what he says he will do. Change me. Just change me. So what I want to do, I just want to close. Um, I want to close by reading a portion of Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is an incredible text. Half of it is all about God's word. So this is what it says, starting in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Just know every time you come to the word, it's going to revive you. You might not, you might not see it right away, but just like in a mirror, you don't always see, especially when you're young, that you're growing. 
But after six months of time, you see, wow, I'm like six inches taller. That's what happens in our faith. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You come into the word, it will make you wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. You want to grow in joy? You want to grow in real, lasting joy? That no matter what the storms are of life that come your way, you will have that joy. It comes by being anchored in the word. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes will help you see the truth. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It'll help you persevere in your faith. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous. Do you know every time you come, everything in the Bible is true. It is righteous. Much to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. If you're sitting here and you're saying, look, I get this, this is great, but I just don't read much. I'm not much of a reader. Well, there, there is like a lot of audio Bibles and, and dwells a great audio app. Um, but God gave us his word and his spirit now dwells in you that you would be a reader. If you're not in the word of God, you are denying the very means in which he is going to persevere you, to grow you, to increase your satisfaction and joy in Christ. And so I encourage you, if you're saying, I, I'm just not much of a reader, begin reading one or two chapters a day and let your prayer be Psalm 19, verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Pray that becomes a reality in your life. I promise it will. I promise that will become a reality because that is God's word and that's the effect it is to have on everyone who reads. Verse 11, moreover, by them is your servant warned and keeping them there is great reward. And the reward we have is that we will enter into the rest of God, the new heavens, new earth, and we will spend eternity with him. There is no category of a Christian who does not read the word. That does not exist. We are saved to know God in his word. He's warning us, do not be like Old Testament Israel who did not believe in God through the obedience of his word. He's saying, believe today. And you can do that by coming into the word every day, exercising your faith as you obey his word. So let's pray and we'll take communion. Father, <clears throat> Father, your word is sweet. Your word is sweet, is sweeter than honey. It is more costly, more precious than gold and diamonds and any treasure that there is. And I pray that that truth is just known to every single person in here this morning. I pray that we delight in that truth that, Lord, you are so good and so gracious that you have given us your word, which is timeless and able to be passed on so that we would know you, we would know what you have done for us in your son Jesus, that we would understand the depravity of sin and our desperate need for you and how you have done everything by your grace to save us. Oh Lord, I pray that we'd be a church that knows you according to your word, that we would read your word, that we would love your word, that we would treasure you in your word every day. Lord, I pray, I pray that we would love this letter that you've given us. Thank you, God, for it. May it fortify our souls. May because of your word today, may your spirit be working in all of our hearts that we would desire your word. May we delight in it. In your name, Jesus, amen. The men are now going to